despite the fact that as you can see besides the traditional retailers even tiktok is getting into uh, into e-commerce so ba basically the space is getting crowded and uh, you need to over deliver so it's the same principle if you're if you're not delivering more value than your competitors at a lower price then you can be out of business Welcome to Mega Minds, the podcast that unlocks the secrets needed to scale your business from seven figures per year to seven figures per month and beyond. On the show, we pick the brains of leading business owners, marketing geniuses, growth experts, and serial entrepreneurs, tapping into their minds to uncover the true formula for e-commerce success. Now enjoy the episode and don't forget to subscribe. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Evan and today I am joined from Romania by Valentin Radu. So Valentin is an expert in customer lifetime value. He's the founder of OmniConvert. And way before he started OmniConvert, he had jobs here, there, and everywhere in between as a DJ, a web designer, even a butcher for a couple of hours. But that's all behind him now. So as the founder of OmniConvert, Valentin has worked with over 23,000 different brands and websites and has run close to 50,000 experiments across them. He is also a serial entrepreneur. His third company has become the largest online car insurance player, turning $700 into 250,000 customers in Romania. And he also has the Omniconverting weekly newsletter, which he sends out to his followers on LinkedIn. So all in all, Valentin is an expert in e-commerce, CRO, and I can't wait to pick your brain. So Valentin, welcome. Thanks a lot for having me, everyone. And hello, everyone. I'm really excited to be in your ears right now. So, Valentin, in your own words, do you want to tell me and our listeners about your journey? How did you get to where you are today as a multi-time founder? Yes. Yeah, so, to be honest, Evan, I've been struggling. So, I think the, the, the progress can't happen without people struggling, right? So, basically... I've been blessed with a poor life. So I've, I had to get out of poverty somehow. And that led me to all sorts of creative ways to do this. So uh, thanks to this poverty and thanks to my passion of computer games, I've been playing StarCraft. And I've built an online, uh, a, a local area network initially to play StarCraft with my neighbors and friends. I was 19 years old. And then we decided that we need internet. So I've rented money from my, uh, I borrowed money from my uh, boss. I, my wage was $85 and I asked her for $300. And it was, she said, okay, what do you want to do this with this? I want to buy a broadband internet connection and to whatever. So it turned out that in two years after that, we've got to 40,000 euro in uh, monthly revenue because we've got 4,000 clients. Everyone was after broadband internet. There was no option. And imagine that we were giving uh, 10 times the speed at half the money. I mean, beat that. You know, I mean, it was basically uh, we, we've spread like wildfire in our neighborhood. So after that, I've uh, sold that company. And then I realized that uh, I want to get into the internet, into B2B. I got all the money. I've uh, wasted all my money is the good word because uh, basically I've bought this uh, nice furniture, desk, office, hired 12 people, let's build websites. But there were no customers. I mean, I, were, I, I, I struggled like crazy for three years to, to find customers. And uh, after that, I realized that uh, I need to go to, to, to do something, uh, something else. So thanks to that struggle again, 
I, I teamed up with the, one of our smallest clients. So basically it was an, uh, an entrepreneur that uh, sold insurance and uh, they also, he also bought, a, uh, he also built a website, which was like in uh, at Macromedia Flash 4 with the car, which was spinning around like this. And we, it, it was awful. And thanks to, to, to that meeting, it was a serendipity meeting at, uh, at one of our uh, suppliers. We, uh, we, we teamed up. So basically, we, I, I became a co-founder because the company just started. And uh, we grew together that company. We, we made it to, to, to tweak the, I, I was very good at analytics, at finding uh, creative ways to persuade the customers into buying. At some moment, I realized the importance of the retention rate. And we've, we've sent 3000 anniversary cakes to our customers to, to, to see what their word of mouth was the impact. And it was tremendous to be honest. And after that, after learning this, I've built a tool for our own needs to do A-B testing. And that turned out to, uh, to, to become um, what Omniconvert is, right? So that's the ancestor. We, of course, we've refactored everything, but we, we've started as a conversion rate optimization platform. My narrative was that I'm gonna become uh, a founder which is playing on the international arena. I don't want to focus only on Romania. And that's after that, we, it, it's history. So we've got to, to, to serve 20,000 websites to change their, uh, their experience and to improve the conversion rate. And nowadays we, we've shifted gears towards uh, customer lifetime value because we have a product for conversion rate optimization for CRO which is mature and it's going very well. And we also built, we've incubated, let's say a new product, which is called Omniconvert Reveal, and it's helping e-commerce and omnichannel retailers to improve their life, lifetime value. So basically now here we are. I love that story. I think it's fascinating and I appreciate how vulnerable you're being in saying that success comes from struggle. And I think that's a lot of, that's often hidden under the rug, swept under the rug by entrepreneurs who want to focus on the success. But the reality is there's no such thing as an overnight success. It takes years and it takes struggle and it takes failure. So I do appreciate you leading the charge with that. And just going more into the, the e-commerce and the business side of that story, given that you are now working with OmniConvert and tens of thousands of different websites and brands, you mentioned going from a acquisition to a retention focus. It's not just about clicks. It's now about loyalty. So I understand yeah. that that is definitely one of the trends you're seeing, but with a wide overview of the landscape, are you seeing any other trends, any other emerging opportunities that e-commerce owners should look to this year or the next two years? Yeah, so what, what I think it's, uh, it's an opportunity right now is to for e-commerce entrepreneurs, if they are only direct to consumer, they should be considered other, uh, other channels as well. Another thing is that uh, uh, having uh, points of presence in real life, it's also a very important aspect. What, uh, what is happening into the market is that the big players are waking up to the digital opportunities. And that means they invest a lot of money into acquiring customers. They are not very good at it, but they are becoming better and better. So that means the landscape of e-commerce, now it's changed a lot, has changed a lot. And that means in the near future, if you wanna survive and thrive as well, you should be having an omni-channel approach. And that means e-commerce is not a business model anymore. It's like 
one of the channels, right? And uh, the, uh, that that's an opportunity going omni-channel, focusing on customer experience and customer lifetime value. I've dried my mouth talking about this principle because it's too expensive to acquire customers that never come back. And that's another opportunity. And the third opportunity, of course, is leveraging the, 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 the data and using this generative AI for, for, for making things faster, better, and uh, uh, we, with the higher, highest, higher impact. So the companies that will adopt AI into their processes, that means that they will save money. That means they would be able to offer more value for the same price. So that means they will outcompete the companies which will not adopt uh, AI. And uh, AI can be adopted in, in many aspects of your business. It can be adopted in your processes, in how you uh, label your, your, your products, how you ship them, how you do content, how you do social media, how you do SEO, link building, how, how you interpret the customer feedback which comes from the customers, how you interpret the data that you get from, from your customers. So all those aspects are crucial to, to, to take into account. So I think those are the major free trends that, uh, that, that are happening right now. Despite the fact that, as you can see, be, besides the traditional retailers, even TikTok is getting into, uh, into e-commerce. So ba basically the space is getting crowded and uh, you need to over-deliver. So it's the same principle. If you're, if you're not delivering more value than your competitors at a lower price, then you can be out of business. Absolutely. In this hyper-saturated la landscape, you do need to stand out. Do you have any other examples of ways that brands can give that extra value? You mentioned earlier that you sent a thousand different anniversary cakes to your customers. Yeah. And I think that is a particularly great example that, of something that would make those customers say, wow, and spread your brand through word of mouth. So given that, given things like handwritten notes or beautiful packaging, what else is out there that can make us stand out? Yeah, so one thing which is kind of neglected, to be honest, Devon, and it's a very low investment. Yeah, uh, I'm writing a book about it. I will launch it in September. It's here. So the, all these examples are here. But one amazing example is, is coming from the fact that if you are the companies that are uh, using properly math, you know, so they don't understand how much they can afford to acquire to spend to acquire a customer and they they don't notice that their best customers might have an issue and that issue made them buy from them and not from their competitors and not knowing those issues those pains doesn't allow them to give them an onboarding experience which is uh, taking into account the job to be done so i'm a huge fan of this methodology because that changed the destiny of my company it's called jobs to be done so basically you can ask your best customers, you apply uh, RFM segmentation stands for recency, frequency, and monetary value. You, with this type of approach, you get those customers that are so stubborn that despite all the barriers that you put consciously or unconsciously in front of them, they still buy from you. So they buy over and over again. So what you can do is you can pick up the phone or you can arrange an interview with them. And what you can do is to find out what caused them to buy this product. What is the need? Because every product has a job, right? So basically, it, it, it allows the customers to make progress. So basically, imagine that your product, and I'm, I'm going to give you an example. Uh, there, is a, there is a company from Australia, by the way, um, Paint by Numbers, something like that. 
I can't remember exactly their brand. However, during the pandemic, their customers had the job to be done. You know, they were stuck in their homes and they wanted to do something not to go crazy. And after that, those preferences changed. So that means they 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 changed their messaging as well. But they couldn't be doing this, and we they couldn't be all offering this type of onboarding sequence differently if they haven't done this type of customer research. So another thing that you can do is to find out, are you painting by numbers? What, what's, your, what, what, what's your purpose here? What, what made you buy products from us? I want to become a painter and I'm training for that. I want to kill some time or I'm depressed and I, I need to do something to get to go out of my head. So those were the main three jobs to be done. As, as you can imagine, uh, those are changing throughout the time. And with this thank you page survey, they labeled, they tagged their customers and they offered them a different onboarding experience, helping them with more than their product helping them with the context on if you want to be a professional painter here are here is the email sequence on how to leverage our products towards this goal same product completely different goals but few are the companies that realize and wake up to this type of reality hey we are not selling a product we are selling progress progress towards what towards getting out of your head and not being de feeling depressed towards becoming a painter or to, 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 towards uh, being a um, making something uh, uh, fun with your kids, for instance, yeah? So those type of things are undervalued and many companies, their, their go-to tactic is, let's throw some discount codes to our customers that bought uh, three months ago. And that's, that's a pity, to be honest. I think a great way to summarize everything that you've just said, Valentin, is that giving value doesn't need to be something that is physical, it can be focused on giving an understanding or obtaining an understanding. And that goes through surveys, through getting on the phone and talking to your customers and just having a genuine conversation to see what are their real pain points, what are they looking for and which of your products benefits can help them. So we've had conversations in the past on the show about NPS, the net promoter score. How would you yeah. correlate everything you've just said in terms of connecting with pain points and understanding your customer to that feedback loop and that net promoter score. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, customer feedback, huge fan. I think it's completely undervalued and those things are not going to happen in the future. For God's sake, we've built a company to, to, to help co other companies do that. So with the NPS, the beauty of the NPS is that it's useless if you don't use the wording, right? So if you look only at the scores, and if you don't crunch the data afterwards. So how can you use NPS, for instance? You have a post-purchase survey and you ask those kind of things that I've said. To you. And then you ask, what are the chances to recommend us to a, to a friend? Now, the beauty of the NPS is that it can be triggered throughout the customer journey. And there are three key moments throughout the customer journey. Redelivery, when you've persuaded the customers, the customer to pay for something that was in their imagination and you gave them a promise of something. So you're, you've sold the promise of a better future with the uh, with your marketing and you want to analyze with the nps how good are we at selling this type of promise yeah and then you have the post delivery nps where you find out how good are we at shipping the product your way that everything went well and if not you have the 
Second question, what caused you to give us a three or a five or a one or a zero or a nine? And basically, those are two key moments, yeah? And the, the answers will be different, of course. And then you have another moment for, for long-term uh, uh, consumer goods, right? So if, if for, for slow-moving consumer goods, let's say you buy a mattress, what it's important is not right after you've got it. It's important if you still have back pains three or six months after the purchase. What it matters is how satisfied are you after consuming or using that product. And that means those are the freaky moments. And if you analyze this, this type of data, for instance, now we are in beta uh, with, the, with a solution to plug in GPT-4 plugins and to deliver uh, some, uh, a sentiment analysis and to extract all the topics within the customer feedback. So basically to do this on autopilot. And there are, there are companies, for instance, even there, Culture Kings, which is from Australia, they are using our NPS solution to, to, to do this type of uh, gathering the data because what is crucial is when you have so, so many customers, you can be, let's say, misled by your own experience or by your own assumptions. But, you, but when you have statistical significance, hey, you have 800 customers that told you that your main issue is that you sell, you, you, you ship too late or whatever. Yeah, when you have that, then you can fix what's broken. And without fixing what's broken post-purchase, it's a waste of time and energy to acquire customers again that they will be frustrated as well. Yes, and given that you've worked with mattress brands like Temper Mattress and also you've worked with Culture Kings and another other big, big name brands like Sephora and many in the space, you certainly are. <laughs> you can back up what you're talking about here. And I want to take NPS, one of the really important issues that Omniconvert addresses, and talk about one of the other issues and opportunities, which is CRO, conversion rate optimization. So given that you experiment with tens of thousands of different websites, uh, everything from small businesses to large international conglomerates, what do you say, what would you say are the top universal tips for CRO, for people who are looking to get that extra one or 2% out of their website? Yeah. So I think it's, uh, it's universally available is the fact that uh, you have to see what is the impact. Yeah. You have to, to, to be very uh, serious about the process of conversion rate optimization, because this is a long-term game. It's not even a mid-term game. So, for instance, when I've started to fix the conversion rate, we, uh, we generated 60% uplift. But it took us a year of work to get there. And there are a lot of experiments which will not work. So I think the, the, the first thing is to, to, to be very serious and determined about it. Like you want to go to, to, I don't know, to get fit, yeah? You will not see the results right away. The time to value is longer than you expect. Of course, you might have some experiments, some tweaks that would deliver, but the, the, the long-term game, the conversion rate optimization, it's a long-term game. From our own data set, we, we, have, we have monitored at some point 60,000 experiments and we looked at which were the best or whatever. And what we realized is that, hey, it takes 10 experiments for a cup company to get serious of it. And it's the, the, the same thing, habit forming, right? You, you can't go to gym if you've just 
got two free times. You have to go there over and over again. So companies which are stopping early, earlier than having 10 experiments are not going to make it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's clear. The ones which are over 10 experiments, they have chances to increase conversion rate uh, uh, dramatically, to be honest. Uh, another important aspect regarding the, or important principle is that surveys, UI, UX audits, and uh, quantitative analytics, all of those should be blended together. So it, it, it's like you weave with this type of insights a hypothesis. If, if all, all that you are doing is to, to, to be focusing strictly on uh, quantitative data, let's say you look in Google Analytics, you see the drop in this step and you do these type of tweaks. But you also need the customer feedback. There are, there are customers that almost, for instance, uh, 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 a very nice uh, way to put it, uh, uh, it is to simply ask the customers on the thank you page in that post-purchase surveys, what almost stopped you from buying uh, from us today? Because that's going to unveil one of the main issues that and the main objections that you've managed to overcome, but for some other customers, you haven't managed to overcome. And that's why your conversion rate is 2.1%. So mm, basically that's... blending this type of insights, it's very, very important. That's a really uh, good and, example, Valentin, of having something in the post-purchase survey that is searching for a negative rather than a positive. Instead of asking customers why they bought, asking why they almost did not. Given that I'm sure yeah. you've tested this many times, do you see any patterns across the websites that you've tested this on? To be honest, no. I mean, there are there are all sorts of uh, things that might might occur depending on the product. So. The, the main pattern is that it has to do with the fears, right? So we're all hallucinating here. I, I, I've read a book, by the way, it blew my mind recently. It's called How Minds Change. And uh, it, while it was there, what's got, uh, I don't know, tattooed on my brain after reading is that people don't change due to facts. They change due to their own reasoning their own narrative narrative that they are changing thanks to some emotions that get through them so basically if you want to change minds you you should find ways to make the customers or the people change their minds so nobody can change someone else's mind but they can behave and influence in such a manner that you eventually realize that you know what uh, it's it's better this way so that, that means the, the, the pattern there, because we are all in the game of changing people's minds, right? We want to optimize the websites. We want to make them buy again and so on. So basically, uh, an universal pattern has to do with their fears, right? So basically, you should be, uh, you should be understanding that customers are reluctant to change things. And if they do, if you are, let's say you are a small uh, online retailer, when you are that and you don't have the power of the brand and you don't have tons of customers that advocate about you, then what you have is how you message your customers, you know? Because the framing bias is very, very important. How you frame it is, is more important than what you said. Because it's like those ads about tires, you know? Our tires are the best. They have whatever type of materials. They are more innovation, advanced, whatever. 
or another tagline when you care about your dear ones. And then is the brand. So what kind of ad will persuade you? It will persuade you the other one, the, the ones that told you, you know what? The tires could be responsible for a disaster and I could lose my, my, my family due to a freaking uh, uh, economy on the tires. You know what? I'm going to buy these tires, even though they are 15% more expensive than the other tires because they've, they've activated the fear, you know? And people don't buy on the gain. They buy on the pain. So you need to reveal the pain in order to uh, frame the reality so that people will imagine consequences of not buying your product. They don't buy on the gain, they buy on the pain. I think that deserves to be on a poster somewhere, Valentin. And it, it taps into basic aspects of human psychology and marketing that we always go with, and that's focusing on benefits, not on features, on making your angles relatable and engaging and allowing the audience to imagine themselves in a situation. So I think that's a great general response, but knowing your expertise, I want to dive a little bit deeper and talk about the experiments that you run. So let's say you have a e-commerce store hosted on Shopify selling direct yep. to, con to consumer. What would be some of the first AB tests that you would want to run for this store? What are the tests that could have the highest impact in the shortest amount of time? Yeah, so uh, the the process, my process to 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 tackle this would be, uh, I would do the research first. So basically, I would look at their best customers that there are. I don't know. We call them the soulmates. Yeah, the ones that bought most most recently, over and over again, and they have the highest lifetime value. After finding what made them buy, and what, and after finding what made the other customers stop buying after the first purchase. After finding on the post-purchase survey what almost stopped them from buying, from converting, uh, I would be coming up with this type of uh, hypothesis. And the first thing, I, I would be changing the copy. So I think the, the, uh, the, the copy is, uh, uh, is crucially important and it's such an easy experiment to do. No, I, mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would change things on the PDP maybe, but that depends also on the quantitative uh, analysis. So looking at the, the most impactful areas to improve. Because you, you, you can change the messaging, but it's also important the page where you are changing that. Some, some would look on the bottom of the funnel with the reasoning that, you know what, here the customers are, like, are at the cashier's desk. It's just some, some small nudge that we could give them. And I can say, all right, but if you have 300 people at the cashier's desk every month, it would take you three months to, to have some some data, which is basically you need, you need the larger sample size. So depending on how much traffic do they have, that's, uh, that, that's how I would be judging this. But to be honest, when you start doing A-B testing, I think you should be starting with the low hanging fruits uh, first. So basically uh, crawl before you walk. That's, that's my, uh, my, my, my suggestion for anyone which they are, if they are just starting into the CRO game. And if they are more advanced, what I uh, what I suggest is to to get over the A/B testing thing because it's uh, uh, it's not about just tweaking the website for more conversions. The future is about 
changing the entire customer journey. So it, it, we need to do cross-channel experimentation. We need to, to, to do this type of cohort A-B testing, you know, to, to give a different uh, website ad experience, website experience, email experience, uh, onboarding experience, email, so that you could, you could see how different customer journeys are affecting the, uh, the lifetime value because that's the North Star metric in, uh, uh, in e-commerce, to be honest. So when we talk about crawl before we walk, crawling can be basic changes to the copy, changing the call to action button, changing the headline, changing the description yeah. on the product page. But then when you're yeah. referring to that walking phase, yeah, go ahead. No, I I, I just got an idea that oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it always worked. It always worked. Okay, yeah. What yeah. So always what works on the call to action is Put there the whatever text you are putting, but put another uh, friction diminisher under the call to action. So basically address the pain with a secondary text uh, piece of text under the call to action. So you have buy now whatever, uh, 30 days money back warranty or something that's addressing their, their, their friction, you know, their, their perceived uh, fears so that's always always going to work better than a simple call to action which is not using a a, a, a secondary friction diminisher but of course if your secondary text is just uh, bullshit then that's not going to work but the idea is to use this type of uh, of method that's a great example and i love when we get specific so if you were say a skincare company and your customers were having problems with their acne would, in, given your example, the call to action be shop now, and then that second fear, second line underneath, shop now to get better glowing skin? Or do you suggest going yep. in the other direction and making it more about the experience and a 30-day money-back guarantee or a free gift with purchase? Research will show you that. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's where the research will show you. Because to be honest, Evan, we, uh, uh, you're a creative person, right? So the, the I, I, I used to be a, a, a web designer as well back in the days. I told you that I had those 17 jobs. So what the creative people do, they come up with all these sorts of crazy ideas, which some of them do make sense. But if you, if you give this type of guidelines, like, hey, we found out, for instance, we found out at, at the bank, you know, some, back in the days when I was uh, doing the, this type of, these type of things myself, because I I've always wanted to be a practitioner, not to lose the the, the grip on what's what's going on. So we found from the customer research that a bank, which was giving loans, the main uh, the the main problem with the customers that almost haven't applied to generate the leads for them was that they thought that this is going to be a nightmare to send all these documents and to get their uh, their processing their acceptance their credit score and whatever and this the 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 thanks to that the creative team could get a clear brief hey that's the that's the fear that's the pain you know that that that's why customers don't uh, complete the the uh, the form and thanks to that the create creatives made a tremendous job, but you need this type of uh, uh, research in order to get creative with the copy and with the, the design.
Given that I do want to talk a little bit about some other areas, I think we'll leave CRO there, but we see across the board, depending on your industry, that it is five to seven times more expensive to acquire a new customer compared to getting an existing customer to make a recurring or a second purchase. So given that in mind, what are some of your top tips for increasing that lifetime value of customers and turning those one-time buyers who might come for a sale or a promotion to turning them into long-term diehard fans? Yeah, so the 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 first thing that I I need to 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 address is that uh, there is a process. So nothing can be improved. No number can be improved without the, the proper process. Eventually, when you are doing this type of improvements, let's say you want to improve the customer retention rate or the customer lifetime value, you can do it on your own. Of course, you can have some ideas, or there is a method for it. So basically, we've pulled out together. Uh, a process, a methodology called customer value optimization. So without respecting this process, you will have some marginal gains, but you're not going to move the needle on the long run. So the customer value optimization process focuses on three pillars. So if your lifetime value is not where you want to be, you can look at these three pillars. What you sell, which is the product, what you do, which is the customer experience, and what you say, which is the marketing. So one of these three pillars could be more impactful than the other, right? So unless you know if you have a product problem, you could bandage the the wrong arm with marketing. So that means you need to, to start first by validating how good are our products, how cool is our customer experience, how happy are our customers, and then look at marketing. The trouble is that many uh, companies start the wrong way. So they start with improve, let's improve lifetime value by giving some discount codes, bombarding our customers with emails, newsletters, offers, and whatever. But they don't start, they don't begin with the end in mind. So how happy are our customers? And if they are not, what's causing them not to be happy? No, I mean, what's, what's broken in our in our customer journey. Let's fix that first. And that's the order of operations. There is a whole methodology. It's again, it's in my book. I've, I've spent 16 months of uh, time to put it together. It was the, the, the hardest pro- project that I did to, to, to be honest. Mm. So let's say that that chain is not broken and that overall sales are pretty good for a business, but there's always room yeah. to improve. So we've done a search and we've recognized that there's no real clear area that needs to be fixed. How do we then take what's working to the next level? So the, uh, the, the next level is, uh, is about doing this type of uh, orchestration of channels. So basically you want to orchestrate different uh, messages at the moment where the customer is about to churn for the reason that you've already found out. So basically that requires uh, uh, orchestrating different messages across uh, email ads, having this type of consistency, doing this type of uh, prevention rather than fixing out things. Uh, another thing is, is that you you understand the behavior patterns and then you leverage those at the right moment because you have this thing called days until the next purchase. 
And if you have this parameter, that could be uh, informing a campaign that could be automatically deployed. So imagine that in, instead of doing this type of manual campaigns, you have evergreen campaigns which are being triggered across channels automatically. So that's the, the, the advanced way. But it all starts with monitoring what matters because if the, the decision makers don't feel the pain, they will, they will not change, right? As I've told you at the beginning of our conversation, it, it's about the struggle. How And if they don't realize that, hey, we are losing freaking 68% of our customers after the first purchase, what's going on with the other 68%? And what would be the, 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 the impact if that would be only 62%? What would it mean for us, those 6%? And when they realize that that's basically the... the, the thing that will get them on uh, on uh, profitability, then they will start making these type of changes because the business model, the e-commerce business model is, uh, is changing. We are assisting uh, a shift which is happening and I think there are going to be less players in the market in the next, less and less players to be honest in the next uh, years. Mm, fascinating. I do want to move on to something different, but just before we do, in one or two minutes. Can you tell me a little bit more about that shift that you're seeing? Where are we headed towards in the e-commerce landscape? Yeah, so I think the future of e-commerce it's uh, uh, is going to be uh, relying on fewer uh, fewer companies. So basically, we we don't use twenty search engines, right? Even though they used to be, uh, there aren't. Back in the days, there were five thousand car makers only in the New York uh, state. So, but that was in 32 or something like that. So now we have, I don't know how many, 30 car makers worldwide. So it's clear that, and of course we do have some niche uh, companies. So what I think is going to happen in retail is that there is going to be this type of uh, uh, convergence towards less and less uh, players. And uh, that's going to happen sooner than later. So basically this uh, AI, mach uh, machine learning, whatever is going to accelerate this type of process because companies will become better and better at what, at what they do. And uh, another thing is that the customers themselves will get into this uh, buying uh, uh, habit loop, you know? As you don't do a conscious decision when you buy the same yogurt from, from the shelf when you are at your favorite grocery retail store, you are not going to think about getting your uh, whatever, shoes from another shoe retailer, uh, uh, whether that is online or offline. So basically, that's what I think is, is going to happen. And uh, that's that's not a good or a bad thing. It is what's it is what it is. So you, if you want to stay in this game, you better uh, play it more, play it like it's going to be, not how it used to be. The landscape is consolidating, and to stay ahead of the curve, you have to be the best. Yeah, at least in your niche, you know. I mean, to 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 provide undeniable value to your customers, and of course that means you need to close the feedback loop and to prevent rather than to cure, right? So you need to prevent all sorts of uh, churn reasons from your, from your customers and to provide them with the products that they are after. So that's, that's another big thing. So there, are, there is this transition from 
descriptive analytics that showed you what's happened in the past to predictive analytics, which show you what's going to happen. And that's why I love lifetime value because it's a predictive measure. And then we're going to get into the prescriptive era where retailers are going to make decisions based on data, but they will not make those decisions. They will actually accept to make those decisions which are being suggested by uh, the, the the algorithms, which will crunch tons of data. So, it, 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 and that's what I think the, the small retailers don't have a chance if they don't adopt this type of uh, approach because they uh, the, the big retailers have this huge data to crunch, but nobody is too big to fall right now, right? So we've seen that over and over again with the Blockbuster and Netflix and, and so on. But the root cause of uh, companies vanishing was the, that they stopped paying attention to where the customers are heading. Mm. There's a lot that we could unpack there. Predictions, consolidations, consumer psychology. And I think that deserves another chat another day. For now, Valentin is someone who has started multiple businesses. You know, as well as anyone, that it's important to always be learning and always be developing yourself on a personal level. So I put it to you, do you have a certain learning philosophy or how do you make sure that you're always staying engaged in what's happening in the world? Yeah. So you you need to carve out time to learn. You, you have to be a learner. So if you're an entrepreneur or a or leader, or if, you, if you're simply passionate about your profession and you want to make it uh, in this arena, you need to carve out time only to think, you know, only to, to read, only to find out new things, and to, but to make it very serious. Put it in your calendar. Don't, don't leave it to some other time when we will do this. Because the mind needs to wander and needs fuel and that's fuel is new information otherwise we will be crunching the same thoughts that we've had over and over again so basically you could feed your brain with what happened on tiktok and swipe like a monkey or you can i don't know you for instance people which are here for kudos to you respect because you are you are learning you are here because you're a learner and you need to 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 do this more often and but don't overdo it because the the action is what's moving the things further, right? So first you need the, the data, the information. To have that information, you need the question. You need to question yourself and to, to look at the things that you are struggling with. It all starts with the struggle. Why am I pissed off? Why am I uh, unhappy? Because of this, that, and the other. Or why the company is suffering? Because this, that, and the other. So when you put the right question, you'll get the right answer. And then having that data leads to action. So you need also to act and to experiment on, on this data and to do it with a faster uh, cycle because the, the world itself is, uh, is an, at an unprecedented uh, pace right now. I've spoken to entrepreneurs and founders who time block every hour of their week, some people down to the minute. And on the other side, I've spoken to entrepreneurs who are very ad hoc, wake up in the morning and decide their day then. So where on that spectrum do you sit? And what is your approach to time management and getting the most out of yourself? Yeah, the the middle way, you know, the, <laughs> the middle path for how how it how it was the the, the in the Buddhism there is this uh, uh, the, this path. So the you need to find the balance. Back in 2016, I've been completely obsessed 
with uh, tracking myself, to optimizing myself, my time. I even carved out, carved out time for my friends, for seeing my parents, for going with my spouse to, to a nice romantic dinner. And everything was time tracked. And I've made this conscious experiment for 90 days and I stopped it after 60 because my life was completely, I, I felt miserable if I haven't got the, the, the time to, I don't know, wander around, let's do something which was unfreaking planned for just one hour. So I think you need to find the right balance. In my case, I'm carving out some time intervals, but I'm, I'm also not that, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, stubborn about it. Mm, yes. Okay. I can relate to that very well because I've been carving out time for myself. And like you said, finding the balance at one point when you schedule a whole day through and you don't finish something that is in that calendar, that can be a, a bit upsetting, but you have to allow yourself yeah. that flexibility and give yourself the opportunity to bend the rules a little bit. So I think everyone is yeah. different as we know, but somewhere in the middle seems to work for you and I. That's right. So Valentin, we are slowly running out of time, unfortunately. So to end these episodes, what I usually love to do with my guests is go through a few rapid fire questions. So I'll fire these at you, try to keep them to one word or one sentence answers, depending on the question and just say whatever comes to mind first. Let's do that. Let's see what comes out of my mind. <laughs> If you could go back in time to before you started OmniConvert, what advice would you give to yourself? Be more patient and uh, make decisions, uh, radical decisions faster. I like it. What's one thing you do for yourself every day that you will never give up? Uh, Qigong. It's a, it, it, it's a practice. Yeah. Can you enlighten us? I haven't heard of that one before, to be honest. <laughs> Qigong, it's a, it's a Chinese, it, it's like a Chinese yoga, right? Oh. Basically, you do stretching, you do breath work, you do meditation. It's like half an hour of, uh, for me, it's, it's like food. I love that. Do you do that in the morning? Yeah, every yeah. morning. Yeah. Great. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice was uh, if you feel like you're in a hole, stop digging. <laughs> what is the worst piece of advice you can remember that you've received? You can do anything. <laughs> um, as someone who has just written their own book, do you have a favorite book or a favorite course or a podcast or a resource that you recommend to other people? Um, yeah, I would recommend the, the how, how Minds Change book. I would recommend also Bob Nuesta's work. Uh, we even have him, have him in our CVO Academy. The Jobs to be Done framework, Demand Side Sales is his book. It was transformative for me. And given that you have worked with other businesses, you've also grown your own business. So what do you think has been the most important consideration for marketing OmniConvert? Uh, establish connections in, in the B2B is crucially important to connect with people, smart people from all over the world, like you, Evan, right? I'm in Romania, <laughs> we're there in Australia and we're doing this. Well, going back to the beginning when you talked about your journey, 
it seemed that every step you took was through networking and through people you already knew. So I think that that's, that's proof is in the, in the pudding right there. Exactly. Um, all right. Yeah, we'll do one more. What yep. is the, what's the one piece of advice that you would like to give to entrepreneurs looking to grow their businesses? Fix your mindset. So write your narrative, decide who the freaking you'll be in the future and go out there. So build, write an identity pact with yourself, write the story of your life and respect it. Go out there, repeat it. I love it. And last but not least, Valentin, if someone wants to connect with you, connect with you, learn more about OmniConvert, learn about your book, where should they go and how can they reach out? Yeah. So I'm always answering to LinkedIn messages. I'm posting there every day, almost every day. And uh, you can also find my book on theclvrevolution.com. So you can, uh, you can uh, get on the list there to let you know when it's going to be launched and uh, read the first chapter there. Amazing. And that comes out in September this year, you said? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, Valentin, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to have a chat. I've learned a lot about CLV, CRO, and just broadly speaking, the way that we should approach our business and our marketing from a mindset perspective and understanding that not every business is the same. And you can't just put a one size fits all list of CRO tips onto every e-commerce business. It starts broader. It starts with understanding your customer and it starts with having a really excellent feedback loop system. So thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time and I hope that you have enjoyed the chat as well. It was great. Thanks a lot for having me, Evan, and uh, all the best from Bucharest to, to everyone. You can do it. Fantastic parting words. All right, we'll leave it there. So everyone, if you're listening and you found this chat valuable, uh, please send Valentin's episode to someone you think would really benefit from it, whether that's someone in your CRO team or your design team or just another friend who wants to hear some words of wisdom. I think that that's the best way to spread the word and get more people listening to all of Valentin's tidbits. So thank you and we'll chat to you next time. Thanks for tuning into the Megaminds podcast. If you're looking to scale your own e-commerce business, get in touch for a free strategy session.